And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgans, founder of Marknology and host of today's episode of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, entrepreneurship, Amazon. Um, I'm really excited about today's guest. We have a Kansas City local, uh, you know, born and raised here. We're going to get into some of that story. I think he's not in KC anymore, but um, that's how we were connected and we got that in common. Before we do, a shout out to today's sponsor for our episode, Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. Michael Francis, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank we were uh, we spent a few minutes like talking about our mutual connection that just like brought us together, and it was funny. You're just trying to you meet so many people sometimes um, when you're really hustling and really out there networking, and you're just like, how like who brought us together? Because it matters to me. It matters like who makes the intro. Um, you know, like it's a it's a reflection of whoever that person is. So I'm super glad we got connected, and and I'm super excited to dig into your story. Um, I think there's a lot of people trying to do um, what you're doing, but in, in a much more amateur way. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear about some of the products you have going. Um, before we dig into what you're doing today, uh, let's talk about yourself. So born and raised in Kansas City? Yes, born and raised in Kansas City. Kansas City, Kansas, to be exact. I am okay. uh, Wyandotte County through and through. I love it. I'm living in Wyandotte County right now um and we just moved our new office into uh 730 minnesota so like right there oh, on the main strip yeah we're, we're rehabbing one of those old buildings oh well let me say thank you from uh somebody who was born and raised there uh i have a lot of memories of minnesota and it has changed dramatically since i was a kid to now and uh it was changing even then so to hear about somebody rehabbing and Helping that come back, that sounds amazing to me. Thank you. We um, It's been a seven-month project for me. Um, today, we'll find out if we pass all the codes. So super stoked to move in there. And it's going to be a challenge because Minnesota has gone downhill in some ways. You know, So trying to bring just back some like some life to it. Um, it's an amazing area, I think, like where Kansas City's culture really resides. So um, me and a couple other businesses actually moved into the building together. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. So starting out on the KCK side, Wyandotte County, um, I think what they say is like, are you from the dot? Are you from the dot, bro? Uh, that's what we get out here. Uh, if I'm yeah, at the liquor the store, dot. probably, yeah, they're giving me some shit about being from the dot. Um, <laughs> what got, are, are you still in Kansas city? Or are you just living abroad? Like wh where's home base now? Well, actually home base is in St. Louis, Missouri right now. Okay. Uh, I have been all over the country, but uh, my base and my company is set up in St. Louis. So I'm still in, I'm still close. Uh, if we want to count the state, you know, across the river, but totally, I'm only four hours away. Got it. Got it. Okay. So born and raised here. Um, have you always been an entrepreneur? Like, let's start with your story. Did you go to school? Um, we know that you're talking about like telling people's story and film. We're going to get into some of that, but like, give me some of those early years of, of Michael, if you don't mind. Well, uh, 
have I always been an entrepreneur? I would say probably yes in uh, spirit and mind. And, you know, coming up when you're not around a bunch of people who are entrepreneurs, everybody basically pushes you to uh, get an education and go get a good job and sit down somewhere. That didn't really set all that well with my spirit. You know, I tried it, didn't really work out. Uh, I've always been a person to go and try to make things happen. And my path has been long and all over the place. Uh, but it was always geared towards the entertainment space. This is it something I always okay. wanted to do? What of are course, some of the things you did that, that, that you ain't doing anymore? What are some of the things that like didn't work out? Uh, talking about as far as jobs? Yeah, just, uh, let's just go through some of them. This is like we want to uh, get into the real shit. Well, well, let's let's say uh, I've probably been fired from almost every job I've had except maybe two or three. Okay. Uh, okay. Me and me and working for other people uh, doesn't work out. I like to tell people I am an excellent worker, uh, got great work ethic, but I'm a horrible employee. You know, uh, you, I'm not a person you probably want to hire to come work for you, but I'm definitely a person you will want to uh, contract with to come get your stuff put together. I love that. You know? I love that. So Hello. something of me too, like I can relate to that, I guess that's why I'm trying to get you to share a little bit with us. Like I've been a, a landscaper, a painter, I've worked at a warehouse, I've been a security guard at a casino. I've done so many things along the way to supplement like whatever else I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, done a little bit. I've been a bartender for five years, you know, so I could go on tour and, and be able to like have flexible time. Um, and I've worked some corporate jobs too. I always felt like I didn't really understand why I was not a great employee because uh, I'm, I'm an amazing worker too, like 150% kind of person in regards of what I was doing. And I never thought I would be an entrepreneur. Um, I just also didn't, I particularly didn't have great bosses or great leaders. So well, that, that was my well, that, problem. Yeah. Well, but that's the thing uh, for people who are trying to do stuff or just have that thing in them where they're creating their own path none of us ever feel like we have the uh, right boss, you know? Uh, and also times we always put it on the boss. They, they was the wrong, but really it was us. Uh, and we was in a space that we didn't need to be, you know, cause that same boss or supervisor did fine with all these people they've been managing for how many ever years they've been in that job. But uh, when you have a vision to build bigger things, it's hard for you to fold up under somebody who's, whose vision stops at what they're doing. Because yeah. uh, with me, it was a lot about respect. It's really hard for me to stay and deal with someone that I can't respect. And it's hard for me to respect someone that uh, isn't as far reaching as I am. But that's a, my issue and something that I got to work on because that's me putting my thoughts on somebody else. And I've learned that that's wrong to do. So no, I just create I, my I own feel you space. On that. I feel you on that. It's like a level of projecting for sure. And there's a level mm -hmm. of like accepting like, hey, I didn't fit into this role. Um, I, I think I 100% agree with that. I would also just say um, I, I I will follow the rules if the rules make sense. I have a hard time following <laughs> rules that don't make sense. So it's like that's just my problem. If, I, if I'm here and trying to be the best worker I can be and you have some rules that just don't make sense, um, that's a problem. That's a problem for me. You know, like so... Those were the things I would run into. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, sure, you could say that, like, hey, the leader didn't have any issues with everyone that came before you. Um, I'd also say that as someone that's having to manage people now um, and turn into a leader myself, now that my team's getting a little bit bigger than just me, 
um, I'm having to learn that you can't just lead one way and you got to lead like you might have this guy that wants this and this girl that wants this. And, you know, so everybody right. has different needs and, and what they're trying to do. Um, and I, you know, I guess I, I'm aware of like, I don't want to lose the people like me and you when I have them in my company. Right. But, but see, but that's the difference. You can spot that because you are people like me and you. Most of these people that we're talking about aren't those kind of people. And they're just literally there to do the job that they need to do. And whatever is put in front of them is they're just trying to execute that. They're not trying to improve it. They're not trying to be better at it. They're not trying to find a better way. So it's hard for you to go into something where you see a rule is stupid because you can see why it's inefficient. It doesn't work. You want to change it and they want you to just shut up and just keep doing it. Mm. Uh, you're not built that way. They're built that way, you know, and the people who work well with them are also built that way. You know, and most companies are built on people that's built that way. Somebody just got to go do the work and other people you know, uh, have bigger ideas, try to go in. How many times you've been on a job and you've seen somebody who wanted to be the boss? They didn't want to do the work, but they just wanted to act like the boss all the time, you know, uh, and they can't never find a space, but they don't have that gumption to go out and do their own thing. You know, I like calling that out too. It's like, yeah, you We're might be right. Between. Yeah, it's like, because you might be right, but it's not yours to run. It's theirs to run. So mm -hmm. if you want to do it, then go do your own thing. Otherwise, sit there and do what they ask you to do. And yeah. I was never able to do that. That's why I ended up going out and doing my own thing. But Let's I've learned about, to not be so, mad about the people who want me to do that. 100%. And I'd also say uh, some of those leaders taught me. I, didn't, I don't know exactly the leader that I want to be. I don't have the exact image of what that is. I do know what I don't want to be. So thank you to them that came before me that showed me the boss not to be. Uh, you know, at least I, I know what not to be. Well, I, I could I could tell you how I try to be, uh, how I go about trying to be the leader that I want to be. And it's simple for me is I believe you try to be the person you needed when you were younger. Mm. So whenever you was on any of those jobs, if you try to be that supervisor that you wish you had, that would have helped you do whatever you needed to do then, that's what you need to be now to the people who you are leading. My and, job. Uh, that's know. like, sounds like my therapist right there. That's what that sounds <laughs> like, you know? No, it's the same thing though. If we're talking business or we're talking personal, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. you want to be a, a good friend, a good partner, a good dad. Like, you know, most of us are trying to feel the, the most of us are trying to be better or trying to be like, okay, what was I missing? And I want to be that for, you know, for the next generation or my best friend or, or my lover or whatever. Um, I want to go into where, okay, because I can get on this mindset stuff forever. And we still have to get into your yeah. story. You said, that's why I wasn't, I wasn't a great employee until I started doing my own thing. So when did that start happening? Well, there was phases. Okay. So uh, you talked about the jobs. I've worked all the kind of jobs everybody else did, you know, fast food jobs, started doing that kind of stuff as a teenager. I've worked at the post office. I've worked for FedEx. Uh, I've worked in law enforcement. I've done a little bit of everything, worked in some production companies uh, and, you know, they just didn't really work out, but it was just me doing my own thing that just started going. I remember as a kid, my first little taste of that was uh, I used to go to this very popular barbershop back in the day uh, in Kansas City. And so it was what is it? What was it? Uh, it was actually called Parkwood, Parkwood Barbershop. Okay. Uh, 
The barber's name is James, who also went on to do uh, become the uh, owner of James Lemonade, if you've been drinking that around Kansas City. Hey, so that we warehouse in the same building, and uh, mm -hmm. like I, I, I partner with the distributor that that pushes out James Lemonade on Amazon. So there we okay, go. Okay, well, well, I, I was, I was around when he was dreaming up the James Lemonade. Okay, but, but what I would do is his barbershop used to be very, very popular in the '80s and the early '90s, and you know, like people would start lining up outside his barbershop at like four or five in the morning to get uh in line to get in. Okay, and so I would go there and stay in line, and then I would just sell my spot uh, to people who didn't want to wait in line. And then I have to go back to the back of the line, and then I wake my way up when I got in that range of you know the last, the first, the next five or something like that. Then somebody would want to buy my spot, and that's where the uh, entrepreneur thing kind of kicked in. And then me watching uh, a barber, you know, just make money doing what he could do. That's where that idea really of, well doing what he yeah. did really well mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that that was where the birth of the idea of being able to do my own thing kind of came from tell me about his barbershop just real quick because i'm just curious like obviously it wasn't just the fade was it like a vibe in there was it a culture was it like he had a collection of great barbers in there like what was the thing about no, the what, shop well every barbershop is a culture. Every good barbershop yeah, yeah. is a culture and you find it differently wherever you go. And it's the same thing across the country and every place I've been, you know, there is a culture there in the barbershop. Uh, it was only two guys that was pretty much there. It was an older guy and the people who, who know back from back in that time would know exactly what I'm talking about. It was an older guy in there. His name was Bert. And okay. Bert was the guy who taught James and James at that time was the young guy. Now James is the old guy somewhere I'm sure now, but then he was the young guy and Bert was in there. But Bert was had that clientele where everybody was young. You know, uh, what was funny was Bert was hard of hearing. So he could never hear you when you told him how to do your hair. So nobody ever wanted to get in his chair. So everybody be sitting there waiting for uh, James. Trying to, to get uh, James. Cut him up. Yeah, trying to get James. And James was the, he was the barber back in those days. He was the one everybody wanted to go to. So it was, uh, it was hot. Yeah. And then you right next door. You had uh, the first time I really realized what a black owned business was. There was this little shop right next door uh, called Miss Newman's. And you got like 25 cent hamburgers. And it was right across the street from Parkwood Swimming Pool. So you got your haircut, you got your burger, and you got swimming. Actually, you got your haircut, got going swimming. Then you got your burger because, you know, you can't eat and swim at the same yeah, time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, you know, so that was, that was a really good cluster of uh, what just, put in my mind the possibilities of owning your own stuff. Yeah, I love that. And that hustle, like that's a unique one to me, selling your spot in line. But like, it's one where you don't have to have anything to sell, just your time. You yeah, know? just my and time. I, I can relate to that. Okay, so that was where you kind of got the bug. Um, and you said like, you know, you're working on these jobs and then like, you know, your thing started taking off. Like, um, you know, what was the first thing you got paid for as far as like, I know you do, you're in production now, but like, what was the first thing you got paid for in regards to the media? Uh, the first thing I got paid for uh, was doing uh, stand-up. Okay. Doing okay. stand-up, doing stand-up and doing some acting. I started doing stand-up and acting there in Kansas City. I started uh, my stand-up career at Stanford's Comedy Club okay. when it was on Westport. Uh you know, so some people who were back around those days may remember oh, the me Uptown Theater, being, right? Like somewhere over there. Uh, or, it was like it on was, Main. It, 
Okay. It was uh, on the main strip of Westport. Like, uh, I don't know what is in that building now because, you know, it's been so long since I've been over there. But I know right around the corner, there is a barbecue spot. It might be called the Char Bar, maybe, where it yep. has, like, all the outdoor stuff. Okay. It was Sanford's literally. Is, Sanford's is right there where the Beaumont Club was and stuff. It's just closed up now. I'm, I'm remembering that. Okay, now. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, so uh started doing that and that led to me producing plays around Kansas City and doing some other things like that. And that was where it started, you know, uh first kind of getting a little bit of money. Wasn't a lot of money, but started making some money, showing that, you know, like I could make money doing this, whether it be acting or doing some modeling and that kind of stuff. No, I love that. And I, you know, I was telling you a little bit about my story before we started, just so you had some context, but like I remember when I first got paid to play music that was mine uh, versus like a cover show or something like that. Um, probably similar to writing some jokes, you know, and being like, people are like, I'm getting paid to like tell my jokes. And it's just like, it's a, it's a light bulb moment, you know, that you're like, this is just, this is Andrew. This is like music I made. This is music I created with my friends and people are paying to be here. Um, it was, it was like intoxicating to me at the time. Yeah. Um, I just chose later in life, I chose to find something that paid me a lot more. But, um, you know, you kind of get that bug of like, oh, I can make money without an employer giving me a job that pays me. And that's right. just like if you haven't done that before. And I'd always had side hustles like mowing lawns and like, you know, snow or like things like that in the neighborhood. Um, but I didn't have like consistent stuff. I, I honestly didn't start my entrepreneur journey until I was quite a bit older, like 25, maybe. So, um Okay, so so you're getting paid for for stand up. You're doing modeling. You're doing kind of just like hustling, like whatever you can do to get paid as an entertainer. Um, when did you start helping other people? Help me along with this timeline. I want to kind of see how it progressed to where you got to where you are now. Um, you know where you're finding people with dope stories and helping them tell them. But like obviously, you're th there was a moment before that you were figuring stuff out. Yeah, well, so I always knew I wanted to do TV and film. Just didn't know really how to go about it or how to do it. And that's where the performance came in because majority people only know about the entertainment stuff by what they see. And that's generally the actors or the people that's out in front. You don't know about the business of it and people don't yeah. understand the business, but the money is made on the business side. That's where the real money is made. And people look at the big actors and They're think the about them at the top, but they're literally at the bottom of the totem pole. You know, right. uh, and people don't understand that. So I had you learn to learn that through modeling, right? You learn that through modeling and some acting. Like I did a little bit just to conquer some mm -hmm. of my insecurities. Like, and I remember doing this tryout for uh, Twitter, actually. <laughs> uh, we were like, I had to try out improv. Like I kind of was just thrown to the wolves. And I just remember being like, this is Twitter. And like, it's so unorganized. Like they just treating the actors or like the talent, like, like it's, I don't know. It was just like just thrown together as a businessman. Now I look back and I'm just like, oh, my God, this business is crazy. Definitely the talent at the bottom is like you just have to be willing to do whatever they want whenever they want. Yeah. Yeah. The, ta the talent is definitely at the bottom of the totem pole, but the talent is the face. Correct. You know, uh, and the saying is talent is a dime a dozen. Uh, so that's also why talent is so cheap, so to speak. But, you know, in our society, that's how we treat everything that there is a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, that's why teachers aren't paid of very much. That's why police officers aren't paid a very much. That's why our military isn't paid very much, you know, but we exchange that pay, which I think this is crazy why we keep buying into it. But we exchange that pay with praise. 
You know, we put these positions on false pedestals to make them feel good or feel prideful about doing it, but we're not willing to compensate them. Back it up with know, and they're said. doing some of the craziest uh, jobs or the most dangerous things or the most important things, but we don't we don't value things that we need a lot of. We value things that there can only be a few of. And, you know, uh, that's just some of our societal nope. and capitalistic uh, things. So no, leave that where that is. I mean, it's well said, but it's real. Um, yeah. And I mean, so, okay. So you're kind of learning it from the bottom up, knowing you wanted to be in film, knowing you want to be in TV, um, didn't go to school for it. Right. Well, uh, I, well, I did, I did go to school. I tried to go to school for it, but at the time when I went to school, there was not a lot of, like, this was all still new. This was stuff that people uh, still was discouraging you to do. And schools didn't really have programs like they have now. Like now every school has some type of film, TV program, everything, everybody's doing it in some kind of way. But back then for you to go to film school or something like that, you had to go to one of the big schools and I couldn't afford to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I bounced around from schools trying to get what I thought that I needed. And, uh, you know, most of the time, ended up not finishing those programs because uh didn't have the money so yep. you know it ultimately was like way later that i finally finished school and schools hate hate for me to say this but in what i do you know like you don't really need it if you can get in and learn it you're really going to learn it on the space the, the school can't really teach you what to do or how to do it you know, it's going to you're going to be learning it basically on a job, but you just got to figure out or know enough to be able to figure out how to get those jobs. Yeah, you know I can really I can relate to that. Like as someone that has a computer science degree, um, I feel like whenever I went, which wasn't even that long ago, like 2000, like I think I graduated in 2011. Um, but like computer science is pretty simple. There was maybe like three paths, you know, three or four paths for all of computer science. Mm -hmm. And now there's probably like hundreds and um, you know, what I do now in e-commerce and in Amazon, um, you can't, you can't go to school for this. There is no school for this. So you literally have to learn this, uh, you know, on the fly or pay a coach on, or something. Um, yeah. so I can, I can relate to that, but I would say, um, as someone that's from the bottom, my family's from the bottom, so to speak. And like, that has kind of like crawled our way up. Um, it was important for me to get further educated personally i felt like i wanted to be educated beyond what i was given um just being homeschooled i didn't feel like i was i didn't feel uh, inferior or anything like that but it was more of just like a, i want to be the first male in my family to get a degree um and then from there i will say that um you know while i was playing music that degree got me that first job at mastercard in that knock that network job um, and from there, I went to an e-commerce startup and haven't looked back, but it did give me that first job um, mm -hmm. that gave me an opportunity when I didn't have one. Right. And so I do feel like, while I'm not using it now and someone could say it's a waste. I think for, for everybody, it's different. And you just got to figure out what field you're going into. And can that field actually help you in school? Like, can school actually help you in that field or not? And yeah. uh, in, in hindsight, I would have like worked under someone like you probably for a year or two and tried to like, you know, learn and, and get advice on like, will school help me or like, you know, figure out if you like the job before you go to school. I would have done it backwards in hindsight, but um, I think to each their own. And, and, and in some, in some cases, um, 
you know, you can't be a lawyer without going to school if that's yeah. what your calling is, you know, but in so many of these other areas that are innovative and stuff like that, it's just, it, it's behind. School is quite a bit behind. Right. So the, uh, the important thing about school that I think we don't teach our kids enough to focus on is school. The, bi ben the biggest benefit for most people in school is actually the relationships you make in school. And we need to spend wow. more time on that. That is above the grades. You know, uh, you want to make good grades because you want to do well. However, it's really the relationships that you build in there and learning how to function and maneuver in this society and the spaces that you want to get into. And I think that's what nearly needs to be pushed more. And that's why certain schools uh, have better outcomes. It's not because they're teaching anything different or different or anything any better. It's really about the networks that's being created in those schools that makes the difference. Michael, well said, brother. Well said. Like, um, yeah, I haven't heard anyone say that. So that sounds original as hell. And I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, as someone that was thrown into the system, uh, didn't fit in at school. There was no chance of me really networking at that point. I was a Congolese boy like that looked white as hell. Um, just didn't fit in. You know, I was a weird I was a weird kid at that time. Um, but in hindsight, like now that I'm 34 going on 35, and understand, uh, you know, I can get my cert my business to a certain level on my own without probably without connections or a big network. I can get a certain level. Um, but if you're trying to get to that next level or the next level after that, the network is a must. And you're only as strong as your network and the people, uh, the relationships you've built. And so like school is an opportunity to spend, you know, eight hours a day or, or more than that, depending on if you're doing clubs and all that stuff with people that you can, um, you know, build some lasting relationships with. So very well said. Um, okay, so I, I brought up school. You were you went to school off and on. Like some of it was, I'm sure some of it. It's hard to say none of it helped. Like you know, because you're getting context and things like that. But um, yes, where did you land? Like going from being an actor, like a job with a product. Did you ever have a job with a production company, or is it something you just started on your own? As someone that has a no. couple friends here in KC now that have production mm -hmm. companies, and I've seen them build them, I have a little context of what it takes. Um, but you, you seem to be like kind of years ahead of them in regards to like, you know, doing this, doing this before them. So what was that like? So uh, I did have a job with a production company. It was in Chicago that I got a job. Uh, I was got hired as a PA and the guy that hired me there was That's uh, a big job. That's a big job, well, I think. Well, well, he, he was really great. And his name, his name was John Passy. Uh, and this is a, a tip for people. You know, when you go to some place, I got, I, well, let me, let me back up. I got the interview and it wasn't an interview. I did a project for someone else and I told them what I was trying to do. And it was like, hey, I have a friend who works at this production company and uh, it might be good for you to talk to them. Uh, I was looking for a job because I needed to make some money. Uh, I was at that, at that time, I was about to get kicked out of school because I didn't have the money to pay, uh, the rest of my bill. And, uh, I went there to talk to him and it was under the idea that, Hey, I don't have a job for you. You know, there's no job here, but I'll be willing to talk to you. And I went in there and I talked to him. And by the end of our conversation, he offered me a job, you know, and it kind of goes into that thing of, uh, if you go ask for help. Uh, you get advice. You go ask for advice, you end up with a job. 
Mm. You know, and I teach that about as far as people, how they should be doing like informational interviews when they're trying to break into a field or do something or make a leap to the next level in whatever they're trying to do. But so I started working for uh, John and he had a simple rule for me. He, t- he heard my story. He knew what I was trying to do. And he saw something in me that I probably didn't even see it myself at the time. And he told me that uh, if I just got everything that he needed to get done, done. I was uh, free to do my own stuff however I wanted to, and I could use the resources of the company. You know, I just needed to make sure that I had whatever he needed done taken care of. And, you know, that was like the greatest. And to this day, he's still, in my mind, the best uh, supervisor, boss, whatever you want to call it, that uh, I ever had. And that really gave me an eye opener to, one, how to create, how to create stuff in a professional setting, how production companies actually work. Because I got to sit there and watch it all from the inside, from all the different departments inside of this place, and still have time enough to work on my own stuff and tap the shoulder of people who are way ahead of me and have them either help me or work on them. You know, some of the designers worked on some of the designs for the stuff I was doing back then. You know, it, it made me look like I was doing things at a way bigger level because I was able to tap into the resources of this company and the people that was there liked me enough that you know they saw something it's like what you you trying to do what that ain't the way you do it let me show you how to do it you know and they would uh take care of it for me so that was a great experience so that was my first experience working for a production company i love that and that was uh how old were you then uh i was maybe 19 20 maybe 21 somewhere in that range my linear time is really my memory and linear time is very very poor no, so i was somewhere in that range okay um well i we, we like we're coming up on 30 minutes i want to take the next 15 to dig into like what you're doing now okay so bring us from like that first job quickly to like um what you're what you're working with today and let's dig into some of that and how like how you're helping people today okay so uh going from there to where i am today So during that period of time, I started writing for different companies that opened up different doors. I ended up uh, getting an opportunity to write for uh, Second City Chicago, uh, and I became kind of a writer, which then opened up other doors inside of the entertainment world. Uh, So then when I was doing that, I ended up uh, needing to leave Chicago because money got bad, all that kind of thing. I kicked out of school. Ended up coming back to Kansas City. That's where I ended up working at the post office. I was at the post office for a year or so, getting my feet back under me. And then I moved to uh, St. Louis. So uh, in St. Louis, I tried to put down entertainment and just do the regular job type thing and become a a regular adult or a a responsible adult, as people like to say, become a a responsible adult. Uh, I became a police officer. Uh, and I call that kind of my lost in years Louis? in St. Louis. Uh, I call that kind of my lost years, but not because of the work that I was doing, but because of I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. But it was a lot of good things that happened in there. A lot of uh, stuff that went through. That's actually where I ended up finishing school. I let the police department pay my way through school. Uh, mm-hmm. We did that. Once I finished school, I hit a point where it was like, if I'm going to do TV and film, I either got to go for it or I'm not going to do it. And I needed to try to see if I can make it. I didn't want to be a shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah. Uh, so I packed up, 
moved to LA just to see if I could make it happen. Didn't have any connections, any of that kind of stuff. I got to LA uh, within about a month of being in LA. I got my first TV job. I was working for Judge Judy. Uh, okay. That was my first uh, TV job. And then from there, it was just working my way up inside of production on different jobs, getting different positions and just working my way. And in 2018 is when I took my company, uh, made my company legitimate and did my production company, which is a developing packaging production company, which is probably different than your friends who have the production companies. Because I don't really, I don't do for service uh, client work unless it fits certain criteria. Okay. You know, my whole production company's goal is to find, create, and develop things to put on or sell to end users, Netflix, uh, cable networks, things like that, and create okay. TV shows for us to be on. And I just got tired of working on all these other shows that I've worked on, creating all these shows for other people, and you know. If I don't work for three months, I'm back to being broke. You know, I wanted to actually create my own stuff and own my own shows. And that is basically where I'm at today and how I am helping people now with their businesses and their creative endeavors to get it to the next level to where it can be on TV. Or even if it doesn't make TV, expand their reach of their business or increase increase their revenue. I love that. Um, actually, of the two of the two friends I have, one of them is a Kamba productions um and i'd love to introduce you to abraham he's a good friend and he's doing a lot of that he's working on a project right now um that's about mental health and depression um so you know he he's worked with kevin love and a couple other things like that like with his series so um he might be a few years junior your junior but um i think he'd be a great connection just two kc guys like you know trying to tell some awesome stories like it might be a great connection for you or if you need some extra hands like a, a good crew here in kc um he's doing just amazing projects and uh uh i love that number one that you're doing your own thing and i i, I can relate to that very much so on on the amazon side the e-commerce side of things um i've spent the last 10 years building other people's businesses um, and while I built my own um, digital construction crew, so to speak, with Marknology, a big part of like our passion going forward is like um, building our own brands and building equity into the projects we're working on and, um, you know, continuing to just focus where we are not having to take every project that comes through the door and instead working on projects that fill us back. Right. So, um, you know, being involved with um, telling the right stories, we tell stories just in a, in a retail way, in a direct consumer kind of way. Um, mm -hmm. so a lot of similarities, but a lot, a, a lot of difference. And, um, you know, some of those things like, you know, there's like, you're creating simple, like ads for prod for products and simple things like that. But, you know, there's also those ads like that might come across from a Gary V or a Nike or something that you watch it. And you're just like that one with Dwayne Wade, you know, when it was, uh, that he was retiring and it was just like, it was an ad right for Nike, I think, or Adidas, but you just like, you know, you got a little, your eyes got a little misty. Um, you know, seeing all the ways that he gave back that no one had ever shown, you know, and it was talking mm -hmm. about like more than the rings and something like that, you know, and I just remember being like, you know, I, I am just enough where if I see a really good ad or a really good story coming across and even a couple minute clip, it's just like a super impactful. And so um, as someone that grew up as a missionary kid, um, being exposed to so many people's stories around the world, like that never get told, um, 
you know, I have a, I have a strong passion for that, uh, even though I'm not in production. So I envy you a little bit in getting probably to be involved in some really awesome projects. Well, you, you know, you talk about the uh, straight to consumer, right? And the differences, but they're more the same than you might even realize. And it's becoming more of the same because right now we're going through a transition where everything media related is becoming the same thing. You know, uh, TV is film, film is TV, radio is podcast, podcast is TV. It's all becoming the same thing and it's all headed down to a direct consumer marketing. So you're actually sitting on the front edge of the space that you're in and all you need to do is just shift a little bit more into this side of it because where you're at is only coming to where we're at. We're about to meet and being on the front edge of that is what's really changing how everything is happening because everything is about story and how you telling a story is not any different anymore from one medium to the other medium. I love so that. Like, yeah. uh, Have you seen Adidas homepage that has like the story, uh, you know, it's, it's advertising we're selling, but it's got the story of uh, the brothers that like make a basketball hoop in the hood. They like chain like this crate up to the fence and they're hooping on it. It's about these shoes. They're all like playing this tournament for the shoes. Um, and that is like that to me, that's not, it's not that it's cutting edge. It's just like, man, like everybody wants to be sold to that way. If you're asking me versus the like, buy this it's 20% off, like this cheap, this cheap storytelling, like talk to us about the quality and the origins of the shoe, you know? And um, that's the kind of stuff that when I see that, I'm just like, you know, and, and on vid on the video side, at least in the e-commerce side, it's, it's what are the captions, uh, you know, the captions or the alt text behind the images. And like, those are going to be search uh, searchable by the Alexa Amazon Alexa and the Google Home being able to sure they call it hearing impaired, but really a search engine optimization for video content at a high level. Um, and so, yeah, I really do believe that our worlds are coming together um, and telling stories that are not just built for like the now it's getting built so much faster than I think it used to be done in the past um, yeah. and with a lot less expensive gear. Right. So you're creating a lot, yeah. a lot more creators than existed before. Right. So when you add that to like, to a deeper level of what I do on getting stuff to a bigger space, TV space, you know, in user space, it's really the same thing. A lot of the stuff that you're watching on TV is nothing but a commercial. And that's what I try to uh, get my talent, especially people who own businesses or have products or have services that can grow for them outside of a TV show is that you got to look at this TV show that I'm going to create for you as a hour long commercial that's going to be in people's homes every week or people are going to be streaming. And if you look at it that way, it changes the dynamic of what is possible for either you and your company and branded content is a lot bigger now than just a couple of clips with, uh, you know, a product thrown in it or a name of a product, you know, branded content can be a whole movie, right? It can be a whole TV show. You know, there's a project that I am brewing right now uh, that is a branded content thing, you know, that I'm developing for to go to places like, say, a uh, HGTV or, you know, a DYI uh, network. But it's pretty much just a what people would look at as one of those home improvement type shows. But the mission of it really is to build a brand around the brands that we're using in this show to have much greater impact on helping people. But people are gonna consume it just strictly on the fact of, hey, I either like these characters 
or I like seeing how they make something out of nothing. And that's the key core of like the things that I look for when I'm advising companies on how can we take what you're doing to a wider scale and putting it like on TV or something. Because once you are on TV, you become a leading expert in whatever it is that you do, regardless if you're good at it or not. You have a show. And there's, there's a, a certain level of market share that just comes with that, that you cannot beat that advertisement. And then you have a juggernaut of a broadcast system who also is making money off of you being on TV. So now they're literally doing millions and millions of dollars worth of marketing for your business that all you have to do is just show up for. Yep. So it's like really powerful if people kind of look at it that way. And those are kind of like companies that, that I consult with. Those are the kind of companies that I build stuff for and are looking to find, you know, for those people who want to engage in that kind of activity. Michael, I love it. I love your passion. I can tell it, it comes through just in the way you're, you're speaking about what you do. And I can definitely relate. Um, you know, I, I learned the power of, I think, story um, at a young age, uh, just being growing up really religious and hearing like, you know, charismatic people come through church and things like that and just share their stories and just like really impact people and, and understanding that like it was just an authentic story, really that they were sharing about, you know, overcoming or about change or about, you know, radical change or things like that. But it was just like, wow. And always being drawn to those, um, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's a movie or it's a TV show or it's a book or it's a person, um, you know, like how, how are they telling that? And I think that like story is also, um, you know, the, the opposite of shame. So, you know, a lot of people deal with shame and it's like through telling their story. And I'm talking about personal stuff here, but it's the same thing as business to me. Yeah. Um, you know, so you're talking about, um, you know, it, it, when you're telling your story authentically uh, about what you do or the passion you have as a welder or as an e-commerce expert or as an Amazon expert or as a, uh, you know, a production expert, um, people relate to that and people are drawn to that authenticity uh, of, of sharing that. So I absolutely love it. I learned like the power of you, like strong YouTubers. Um, in mm -hmm. money, in money, like, you know, uh, I remember freaking out one time that this client wanted to spend 10K on an unboxing video on YouTube. This guy just like, it's a, he has a personality, does his story, does his brand. $10,000. I was like, I could spend $10,000 on Amazon ads, like, uh, and we would crush it. Like, I, you know, so what are you doing? What are you doing? And we, we had a $80,000 week after he, he ran that YouTube video for 10K. So it was like, wow, the power of just like people watching something on YouTube um can can directly impact a brand in a huge way and that was just like one example but um doing that at a high level i think is cool we're gonna definitely connect after this i got some stuff i want to send your way just to get on your radar with some cool stuff i know it's always just kind of knowing what's out there um if people want to work with you you know we've got uh followers and listeners all over the world we're in 190 countries um this the episodes right now are getting i think 90,000 downloads a month so we got all types of listeners on today's show we've got founders we've got new entrepreneurs we've got students um where can people follow along with your story just to follow the projects you're doing or if they want to work with you where can they contact you where can we see uh what you're working on so uh where you can see what i'm working on right now uh all the people that's downloading this go to discovery plus and watch bare hands rescue okay and discovery okay. plus and then then after you watch it go on any of your social media platforms 
and let other people know what you thought about it. Even if you think it sucks, I want you to put it out there and then just hashtag bare hands rescue. Uh, that's where they can go see some of my latest stuff right now. And bare hands, okay. bare hands rescue is about is a company that I found that I did what I just talked about for that company. And now they're on uh, Discovery Plus and Animal Planet, and they have an office right there in Kansas City. It's called Wildlife Command Center. So anybody who needs uh, wildlife removal issues taken care of, those are the guys you want to call. They come in and take care of it. When you wake up and there's a possum in your bed, those are the guys you call. So that's where they can go find and see something that I'm doing that I'm doing right now in an illustration of the stuff I've just been talking about. Okay. They can also check out my website, which is michaeldfrancispresents.com. michaeldfrancispresents.com. They can uh, contact me through there. They can follow me on any of the social medias under Michael D. Francis Presents. And uh, I'm always looking for interesting people doing interesting things. I love it. I'm going to send some interesting people your way. Okay. So right. I, I like to, I like to stay networked in Casey and know what's going on and, and try to like keep track of uh, our young talent or our old talent that's kicking ass. So mm -hmm. um, I'd like to send some stuff your way, Michael, I could talk to you all day because I just love the space you're in. It interests me personally, uh, not just as a podcast host, but as a, you know, as an individual, I just think uh, you're doing some really awesome stuff. Um, I'll have all of your links in the, in the comments below on the, on the podcast. So if anyone's listening in their cars, uh, you know, you can check it out later and find any of the links to, to Michael's stuff. You heard it. Discovery plus. Yeah, bare Discovery hands plus an animal planet, bear hairs, bear hands, rescue, bare hands, rescue. Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, hustlers. We'll see you next time. And shout out again to our sponsor for today's episode, fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. We'll see you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.